You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. Back on March of 2020. Do you remember March of 2020? It was like dog years. Um, It's been only two, it feels like seven. If you could just go back for a moment and situate yourself in that emotional state of where you were in, in March of 2020. And I don't, I don't know where you were on the radar of what you were thinking COVID was or was not. My guess is that you were probably stuck somewhere on the paradigm of this thing will pass in two weeks, which is where I was, uh, to this is how the world is, uh, which is where Sarah was. Um, <laughs> this is how we're going to go out. Um, But regardless of where you fell, you had to come to terms with something. There was an outside outside virus making its way inside people, some people who it would actually kill. So let's lay aside what some of the science has come out with since the beginning of this pandemic and admit that whether you were filled with great anxiety or you were brushing it off for the first time in most of our lives, We all had to reckon with something at the exact same time. We were reminded that we are not, in fact, invincible. And even if, just for a slight 24-hour period, we came face to face with the one reality and the one rule of the entire universe, you are going to die. There is a lot of unknowns in the world, a lot of uh, difficult questions to answer, a lot of philosophical and sociological and emotional aspects of the world that we still have not. Uh, The brain is such an amazing thing that even the most brilliant scientists have barely scratched the surface. Did you know that only 10% of the ocean has even been explored? There is so much that we do not know about the world. It is beautiful and complex and nuanced and diverse and unique. But we know this, you will die. You will die. I will die. I pastor a pretty young church, a somewhat healthy church, a relatively vibrant church as it relates to the median age of this group. You are in your prime. This is the time of your life, young 20s to young 30s. Your brain is finally formed. You're dreaming big dreams. You have goals and ambitions and desires, many of them good and pure and well-intentioned. So this is not to make light of any of those. It's just that many of those may or may not be a reality, but those goals and desires are what we daydream about day in and day out. But the one reality that we are hell-bent on avoiding is the one that is absolutely inescapable. You're going to die. Ash Wednesday is on the calendar because we must be reminded of the fleetingness of life, of suffering in life, of our need for God in this life, and the next one. And it's also on the calendar because we need to have death right in front of us. I am reading, like the rest of the world, last Thursday about what is happening in Ukraine, and I read this quote by Vladimir Putin. 
Given our nuclear arsenal, there should be no doubt that any potential aggressor will face defeat and ominous consequences should it directly attack our country. All necessary decisions have been taken in this regard. Forget some of the sociopolitical and geopolitical things that are happening here. A world leader just made a veiled attempt at nuclear war, particularly aimed at the United States. And as I am reading this, my heart literally skips two beats. Why? Because I am both caught off guard and wired to avoid the one thing that will take me out. Death. And part of the reason I confess that my heart skipped a beat is not because I'm merely human, though that is certainly a part of it, but it's because I am overly tied to this life and not nearly concerned enough about the next one. I love to focus on what is happening right now. I have a very, very, very vested interest in the short-lived life that I am living. And I have not enough vested interest in my eternal lasting one. When Jesus steps on the scene of his ministry right after he has been victorious over the temptations that were thrown at him, the announcement that he makes as he enters the scene is not, I am here to rule. It is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, change one's mind, change one's way of living, one's way of life. Go a different direction, turn around. Repent, a word we don't really like because it's a posture we don't really take. Humility or humiliation the owning of one's sins, of one's grievances, of one's actual assault on God. Our repentance is cheapened because God's holiness is watered down. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as it's called in the other gospel accounts, is here. God has arrived on the scene and with him a new way to be human in the world. He is now among us, and we can turn away from it, but we cannot say he never came for us. God has come to earth not to rule first, but to serve, not to live, but to die. The conundrum of Christianity is that God dies. The immortal one, immortal, the invisible one, visible, the untouchable one put on flesh. The story of the world is that something in life has gone terribly wrong. We call that sin. And the result of that something is excruciatingly painful and unavoidable. And that is death. So I just want to give two brief exhortations. The first is this. Ash Wednesday reminds us of our mortality. We all know that death is not the way it's supposed to be. No matter how old someone is when they die, no matter how vile someone is when they die, no matter how gross or violent someone is when they die, each of us go, mmm, mmm. Because a thought comes into our mind. 
That was someone's child. That was someone's mother, father, neighbor, boss, direct report. You cannot help the feeling that something is wrong. All the more when an infant dies, when an innocent teen is killed in a car wreck, when someone takes their own life, and when surgery goes wrong, each its own tragedy with a shared outcome. And that is loss and death. Listen to what God says in Genesis 3 to Adam. Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." This is in the Bible because it helps us face the fact that our sin has brought about our death. And yes, not just someone else's sin, but Adam's sin represents all of ours. Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are all breathing the same oxygen. We are all swimming in the same pool. It is killing us, and we all sort of know it, and we all want to ignore it. And here comes Ash Wednesday landing on the church calendar where God gently says, Don't. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the outcome of your life, which is death, and really don't ignore why it is that you will die. Some folks who didn't ignore it were actually ancient monks. Much of the skull imagery that we have in our current pop culture comes from monks. And if you look back on some of the imagery that depicts monks, most of the time on their desk is a Bible, a candle, and a skull. Why? <laughs> because life is fleeting. You are going to die. Death is inevitable, even for you. That's what they wanted reminding of. And in the Benedictine traditions, when someone dies, after they bury them, they go ahead and pre-dig the next grave and leave it open. And they position it in such a way that every day the monks walk by the graveyard, they see an open tomb, potentially theirs. Meaning every day on their way to lunch, they see their future. And you're probably thinking, wow, how morbid. But what was it intended to do? It was intended for them to look at their own life and say, wow, how miraculous. I am alive. And it wasn't that they were doom and gloom, but rather that every breath became a gift, every gift was received grace, and every moment was an invitation to gratitude. Most of us look at the world and say, this thing is headed to hell. It is gross and dark and bleak. It's got problems and they're compounding and I've got problems and I'm compounding. But I don't think that's been the way all followers of Jesus have looked at the earth or looked at their own life. It is much more, wow, I am alive. What a gift to be stewarded. What sobriety I need. What precious time I have. 
What am I doing with my life? Is it counting for something significant and transformative? Or am I blissfully unaware floating as if I'm not going to an impending death? In Rome, there is a sign in front of some of the catacombs that monks would go to and reflect on this saying, where you are now, we were. Where we are now, you will be. Are you familiar with your mortality? How often do you consider your death? How often do you consider your life after death? This is that moment on a yearly basis to take some serious stock of who you are and where you're at and who God is and where you're at in relation to him. Ash Wednesday is a moment for us to reflect on eternity in light of our mortality. We do not consider eternity. We live right here, right now. Maybe, maybe we live for the next two years. But eternity? Whatever you believe hell to be like, you cannot escape the reality of judgment on your life. God is a judge in the scriptures. He will judge. His judgment does not negate his fatherhood, but neither does his fatherhood negate his judgment. And the challenge for us, to, for us is most of us want judgment. We just want judgment for the world. Not so much for us. Are you familiar with your mortality? Two, Ash Wednesday grounds us in gratitude. The overwhelming thread throughout the entire scripture, but specifically Paul's letters in the New Testament is gratitude. It is thankfulness. It is a posture of opening yourself up to undeserved grace and experiencing life with open hands. Quite frankly, it's a posture so many of us are familiar with when we are given something out of sheer surprise, when someone grants us a gift, when someone lets us borrow something, when someone gives us an affirming word. Heck, when someone gives us a challenging word and our flesh recoils, but deep down our spirit says, thank you. Are we people of gratitude? The gospel compels us to be full of gratitude because we are full of life. Have you considered the fact that human beings are the only creatures created to perceive beauty? No other creature was created to look at the sun setting over the Atlantic and stare at it in wonder. And no other creature was created to look at an art piece in a gallery and marvel at the artist who drew it up. And no other creature stands on the chimney tops on a Saturday morning in May where the Smokies are hovering over the clouds thinking, this life is about me. No other creature looks inside the human body while the heart is autonomously ticking and pumping blood through the entire system to keep it upright and says, I am entitled to this. And no one stares at the very, very, very few stars that they can see and ponders all the galaxies they can't see and believes they are the center of the universe. No, gratitude is the overwhelming response. 
And even more so, we don't look at God and say, you deserve me or I deserve you. No, we don't even feel we can look at God. We just echo the words of the slimy IRS agent in Luke when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in a moment, grace breaks in and gratitude pours out. Over the Christmas holidays, Sarah and I had the opportunity to visit Paris, which is a once-in-a-lifetime trip because her brother uh, works overseas. And on the very last day, we were able to climb to the top of the Sacre Coeur, known as the Heart of Christ, the Heart of Jesus, which is this beautiful cathedral overlooking the entire city. And at the very top of the dome, you get a 360-degree view of the Parisian world. Here is one picture. And for an hour, we just stared and marveled. And the emotion that kept up within me was sheer gratitude. Look at all these 12 million image bearers of a triune God. They can't even fathom how much they are worth. They don't have a clue that God has come for them. And I kept wondering, what do they think when they get this viewpoint of their city and they reflect on their own life? I want them to know gratitude because I want them to experience unmerited grace in the brevity of this life so they might know undignified joy in the next. And with the sun beaming down and the moon in the background with the Eiffel Tower hovering over the city, it took all in me not to weep on top of the cathedral because the heart of Christ is the name of the church. And the name of the dome is for a city like Paris. And the heart of Christ is for people like me and you. We have nothing else to offer but utter gratitude. Ash Wednesday is the reminder that you will die. That there will be judgment because we have sinned. And that the only remedy for the wickedness and evil in the world, the only remedy for the wickedness in us is that God would come in our place, become our sins, so that we might become the righteousness of God and the aroma of Jesus and his suffering love. So today is a day full of sobriety. You will die. Consider that. What is your life? And it's a day full of gratitude. There is hope for sinners like you and me. And his name is Jesus. And his invitation is to come to him full of confession and repentance, open to grace that he is willingly pouring out. So as we move into the imposition of ashes, for those of you who have never done this or maybe freaked out by it a bit, uh, that is understandable. But the truth is that the Bible makes many, many, many references to ashes. Ashes signify dust, and they are used as symbols of mourning, which happen in both the instance of repentance mourning over your own sin, and suffering, 
mourning over something that has happened to you or something that is happening in the world. So three very brief examples. Job in Job 42.6, going through massive personal turmoil, says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezekiel 27.30, they will raise their voice and cry bitterly over you. They will sprinkle dust on their heads and roll in ashes when describing a future time of mourning for the city of Tyre. Mordecai and Esther tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing. There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So these are descriptions of people in the Scripture, not prescriptions for the way we must act. The imposition of ashes is not a biblical command, but it can be a helpful reminder. I, if you've been in this church any length of time, you've probably heard me say that most of us will not move our hearts until we move our body. Moving your physical body and receiving the ashes on your head will prompt you in a way that sitting alone in silence may not. In and of itself, this is a religious act that is to be moved on from. But this, done in community, done in humility, and done with sobriety has significant power to shape a community, especially over time. So I'm going to have Brady and James come on up here, um, and they are going to be doing the imposition of ashes. They're simply, if you choose to come up here, they are simply going to draw a very small cross on your head as a marker, um, a reminder that you are dust and that you will die. And here is my encouragement to you. We are not in a rush, so don't merely run up here. Consider the brevity of your life and the eternity of your life before you receive the ashes that communicate this. Remember, from dust we came and to dust we shall return. Turn from your sin and come to Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then Zaru is going to play some music to underscore our time. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.